welcome to the Emotional Fortitude Podcast. How to build the emotional fortitude to win in life and in business. No fluff, just real-world results. I'm your host, Ida Marmorani, ex-Israeli Special Forces, former undercover agent, jiu-jitsu black belt, and mindset expert. Today we're going to talk about emotional fortitude. Basically how to build the emotional and mental fortitude that's necessary to confidently tackle any goal and really win big in life and in business. So for anyone who doesn't know me, my name is Itamar Marani. When I was 18, I was drafted into the most elite unit in the Israeli Special Forces. So out of the whole country, 18-year-olds, there were 12 of us. I then went into the Israeli Security Agency. I did some undercover work abroad in various countries. I was also the youngest air marshal in the country's history at the time. I'm a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. I was ranked top 10 in the world, the amateur level. And I also did some counterterrorism projects in the private sector. I managed multiple teams, multinational SEALs, and that was a pretty interesting time in my life. And nowadays what I do is I talk to entrepreneurs and I coach entrepreneurs about emotional fortitude and having an effective mindset so they can really win in their business and really excel what they thought they ever could. So I want to take you guys back to my time in the Israeli Special Forces. Now between months four to six is what's called advanced unit boot camp. It's literally the toughest time of the training. It's two months where it's basically consistent hell week. So my story was that on one wintry day when it was cold and it was raining and we were in the last week after seven weeks of not sleeping, of not eating, of not knowing what's going to happen next and being in this entire fog and this haze, it really, really started to come down the rain. And as soon as that happened, the officer came to our tent where we were cleaning our weapons and he said, guys, it's raining. Time to get your gear on. And we knew what that meant. That meant we were going to go for a run. Now, these runs, they were also a fog. You never knew how far you would go. And you never knew how long they would take. You would start running, and you would just keep going until the officer said stop. Now, this run went particularly long. And we also had to go through some pretty deep puddles. So we were literally waist deep, wet. Our boots were just soggy and squishing everywhere. And all the skin that was already shaved off was bruising even more. Now, personally, I always struggle with the long runs. There were some things that I was really good at with the leadership tactics, some of the drills, but the long runs were where I was struggled. And I started falling behind. When I fell behind, the officer came to me and he said, Edomar, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm fine. He said, Edomar, are you sure? I was like, yeah, I'm good. And he said, really? Because you can just take a break for a sec. Just the truck's right here. Why don't you take a breath? Relax for a second. I said, no, I'm good. He's like, are you sure? My truck's right there. And in a tired haze, I just thought that would be a good idea. So I said, cool, I'll take a, let me take a breath for a second. Let me catch my breath. He said, all right, truck's right there. And the moment I sat on the truck was the moment I got kicked out of the unit. There was no ceremonial bell, nothing big. He basically told me afterwards when we got to the base, he's like, listen, that shouldn't have happened. And we're kicking you out of the unit for self-secession. They used to cede it to a weakness in your mind. And basically this is not the place for you. And they dropped me off at a gas station afterwards that was close to my house. And they were like, we'll get in touch with you and we'll explain to you how you get to wherever you're going to get to next in the military. Thank you very much. And it was one of those moments I'll never forget because I remember sitting there in the dark in the gas station kind of by myself in a lot of pain and a lot of embarrassment. And I remember in that moment, a couple beliefs seared into my head. And we all have these moments in life where we get down and they leave a very strong imprint on us. And for me, the worldviews I adopted back then when this happened were as follows. One, eat them soft. Because if I quit like that, I must be soft. 
Two, Edomar is a failure. It was a very embarrassing thing for me to feel like I had to go back and tell people that I failed in this unit. And also that if Edomar sees initial success, then he gets complacent and fails because I did see initial success there. It's put in leadership positions in the drills, but honestly, it did go to my head a little bit and I thought I could coast. And finally, if things get hard, then Edomar gives up and fails. As an 18-year-old, those were the worldviews I started carrying with me. And they created this giant sense of fear, a fear of failure and of worthiness that I'm not good enough because I failed and I'm embarrassed. So what that did, honestly, it created a giant chip on my shoulder. I decided I'm going to become ultra-disciplined. I am going to not just go harder, I am going to be harder. And that's just that. And basically, I wanted to be like the Terminator. I thought if I could be like a Terminator, I could be this machine, that would make me happy. Because all these fears, all these feelings of insecurity or inadequacy won't be there anymore. And it kind of worked. So when I joined the Israeli security agency and did the whole air marshal thing as well, it served me well there. The course is very intense to get into this. It's only ex-special forces. And it's 10 weeks of nonstop Krav Maga, running and physical exercise, shooting drills, like tactical shooting. How can you hit a target? How well can you hit a target? And finally, clearing death houses, planes, and all that jazz. And it was a very difficult course for me because I had also gotten to a car accident the first week. And I had all the reasons in the world to give myself an excuse, but I didn't. And because I didn't, I was able to see a lot of success there. And I was able to graduate as the youngest person ever. And I really felt like me just going harder and being harder, it served me really well there. And it also served me really well when I started going into jiu-jitsu and competing. I was winning a lot of local competitions. I was super disciplined with all my training. Literally, I didn't drink any alcohol for, I think, five years. I was just ultra, ultra disciplined. And I saw a really good level of success with it until I got to the world championship level. Every time at the world championship level, at the quarterfinals, I would choke. The matches leading up to that, usually the five matches leading up to the quarterfinals, I would destroy people. It would be shutouts. It would be really big margins of victory. I would be the kind of jiu that I was capable of being. But as soon as the quarterfinals were around, I would choke. I would have this immense sense of pressure that, wow, this could finally validate me. This could tell me that I am not soft and I'm not a failure if I'm the first Israeli to ever medal at the Worlds. And obviously that created so much tension and so much unnecessary and unrealistic pressure that I wasn't able to perform. And no matter how my coaches, how much they would try to coach me about this and tell me what I'm doing and explain to me what's going on, I just couldn't listen to it. I just had this block and literally I would lose at the Worlds at 4 p.m. and I would find some place in LA to train at 8 p.m. because I just thought I need to do more of the same thing that obviously isn't working. Now to explain the next part, I really have to take you back to when I worked in the Israeli security agency. So I was stationed in Mumbai, India in 2010. And when you're undercover abroad, there are certain boundaries that you can play within and certain things you can absolutely not do. Now, I had met a person at the local gold gym and we would meet up to spar. We would just hit the pads a little bit and spar. But I never let him know, obviously, where I live, what my real name was, and so on and so on. I always kept a safe distance. Now, during the quarter, the half final, the semifinals of the World Cup in 2010, he called me all of a sudden at halftime. He said, Edomar, our TV isn't working. Is there any chance we can come see the game at your place? And I said, no, just go ahead. There's a little bar in the neighborhood area that the gym is in. Why don't you go see it over there? 
And he said, oh, are you sure? We really just want to see the game. I was like, yeah, just go see it at the game, at the sports bar. You'll be fine. And he calls me about two minutes later. He says, you know, they're not showing the game. We're really desperate to see it. Is there any chance we're coming to your place? And this was, of course, was an absolutely not. There's no way I would ever, first off, let anybody know where I live, B, invite somebody else into my own house when I'm doing that kind of work. And I said, no, I'm sure you can find somewhere else to watch it. He's like, oh, man, come on, please. We're just downstairs from your place anyway. And as soon as he said that, the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. I remember this. And there was a pause and I asked him, how do you know where I live? And the phone went silent. And after about two seconds where my flatmate, who was also working undercover, gave me a look like what's going on. I spoke into the phone. And I said, OK. Now I know who you are and you obviously know who I am. Luckily, that was enough to deter them. And I was out of the country within a couple of days, but it scarred me. And I didn't realize it at the time. I didn't realize that that left me with a lot of PTSD about meeting new people. And I had a lot of social anxieties. And for about eight years, I wasn't able to make any social connections in life. I was very, very shelled off. And I was very shut down emotionally in a lot of ways. Now, I was fortunate enough to have a friend point this out to me and explain that something is going on here and that it's okay for me to go see some help about this. And I was very, very fortunate that because of my background and through my back channels, I was able to get in touch with the head of psychology of the Mossad and he worked with me one-on-one. -on -one. Now, granted that when we started to work on this, I had zero awareness of all that stuff in the military, all those fears of inadequacies, all that stuff that helped me back in jujitsu. I had zero awareness that I had any of these insecurities. I literally told him I had this issue with Al-Qaeda. It's stopping me from being social. I want to work on it. And what I learned from him really is that a lot of times in life, when we think we want something, we say that, we feel like that. We really dream about this thing that we want all the time. We say we really want this thing, but the reality is we're more connected to something else. We think we want this, but subconsciously where it really matters, we're much more connected to something else. And more times than not, that thing is actually a fear. And it's not a fear of spiders or heights. It's a fear of having a certain feeling that we do not want to have. And you might be shocked to hear someone like me saying that, but that's what it is. It's like, that's the reality. As human beings, we all have three core fears. And what's really important to understand is that they're not rational fears. They're not something that makes sense in today's world. There's something that stayed with us from 100,000 years ago when we evolved and they were extremely, extremely helpful in helping us survive back then. But these days, when we're not trying to survive and not get eaten by a lion, the reality is they really stop us from going ahead. They really stop us from thriving. Now, I'm going to talk about the three core fears. One of them might stand out more to you than the others, but I guarantee you all three of them affect you in some way or another. So the first core fear is a fear of uncertainty. This is I'm terrified to feel out of control or I don't have the power to control things. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to take control of your life and ownership of your success, but whenever in an attempt to override your emotional fear of losing control, we try to make everything perfect, that's when we run into big problems because that's just not something that's realistic. We can't control everything in our lives, right? That leads to a lot of anxiety, leads to analysis paralysis and overthinking, and a lot of micromanaging and being the bottleneck in your business and in life sometimes. And if you've ever been called a control freak, this is probably where it comes from. 
Now, the second core fear is the fear of worthlessness. And this is what I had. This is, I'm not good enough to, or I need to have X, Y, Z before I, or it's a fear of failure, or who am I to, which causes a lot of perfectionism and a lot of imposter syndrome. Now, I felt like I needed to have a certain accolade before I was good enough in my own space. I needed to have that medal at the world championship in order for me to be good enough, to be respectable, to be worthy of respect. And because of that, it created so much pressure that I almost always underperformed when I got to that stage. And it was always that stage. Three times, three quarterfinals, it's when I choked. Now, with entrepreneurship, there already is a built-in lack of stability. So it's very understandable why we have that fear of failure and perfectionism. And again, usually it comes to some kind of irrational fear of not being loved or seeing some kind of failure, usually in your early adult life or in your childhood. But this can't stop us. And it's something really important to be aware that this is probably playing in the back of your head. Now, the third core fear is a fear of abandonment. Now, this is the one where I talk that everybody tries to pretend they don't have, but they do. Now, this is what happens if she, he, or they leave me. Or I could never do X because of what they might say or think about me. Or what will people think if I fail? Now, the funny thing with this fear of abandonment is that most of the times we don't even know who this they are or this he or this she are. It's this ominous fear of being outcasted by the tribe, but we let that stop us. And the real problem with this fear of abandonment is out of a fear of not wanting to be abandoned by all of these random people that we don't even know, we end up abandoning ourselves in a way. So we abandon our dreams. We abandon new business ideas or product ideas or projects because, again, we're afraid of being judged somehow and being left. Or we abandon ourselves by being stuck in relationships that don't serve us. Or we resort to vices, drugs, drinking, sex, shopping, procrastinating. We try to find all these ways to numb ourselves because every time we fall into any of these fears, we know we're not acting in alignment to what we truly want, to the kind of people we want to be. And so we try to run away from it. For some people, it's drugs. For some people, it's drinking. For some people, it's sex or porn or shopping or buying things to make you feel good. Or the really low-level things like YouTube, Twitter, Reddit, or even doing small things in your business that you know won't make a difference, but at least make you feel productive. Now, I'm sure if you think about this stuff, you can pinpoint times where this has happened to you. Whether it's you haven't taken action because of a fear of uncertainty, because of a fear of worthlessness, or that you've abandoned what you wanted because of a fear of abandonment. So take a time for a second right now and ask yourself which one resonated with you the most. Was it the fear of uncertainty, the fear of worthlessness, or the fear of abandonment? Now, to go on a different note, in order to see success, you have to take action. That's a given. And I think a big part of why so many people don't take the actions that will serve them and actually help them get what they want in life comes down to a simple equation I want to introduce to you. It's called the action equation. So the action equation basically dictates that your desire or your level of motivation minus the resistance you're facing will determine whether you take action or not. Now, the motivation fallacy, which is so common out there, is that people keep trying to focus on that first part of the equation on just leveling up their level of motivation or their level of desire. Now, 
the reason people fall into this, I think is very understandable. So when we start out in entrepreneurship and we have to make money, we have to get that product launched. We have to make a couple sales. We'll do whatever it takes because we have to survive. We have to make it happen. It's very similar to when you hear those stories about a mom who picks a car off her kid because she has to, her kid has to survive. And we kind of do the same in our businesses. But then at a certain point, we've succeeded and things are good enough. We don't have to do more. We don't have to grow. We don't have to push our boundaries. And that survival motivation naturally dies down to a normal level. And then we're stuck. We're stuck at this place of inaction where the level of motivation we have is the same as the level of internal resistance we have. And it sometimes changes here or there, but mostly we're kind of plateaued. We're stuck. We don't understand why we can't push and do the big things like we used to when we got started. The motivation fallacy basically tells people, you know what? Let's go back to the good old days when we were super motivated, when we had level 10 motivation and we could overcome any kind of resistance that we ever faced. And it's very tempting to do that. So people do it. There's two main ways I've seen it. One is let's call it the softer approach to realign with your purpose and find your why and get really, really inspired. The second approach is the harder approach. This is to find an external source of motivation, to toughen up, to push harder, to wake up at 4 a.m., watch YouTube videos, and all that jazz. Now, the reality with both of these is that they're extremely difficult to do and maintain focus on. They're motivational band-aids. Now, the good news is, if you're trying to do any of these, if you've done this before, it means that you're aware that something here is not around your skill set. You're not trying to learn more things, but you are trying to enhance your ability to execute and really take action. So it means you're problem aware, which is great. The bad news is that these kind of methods do not create sustainable elite performance. What they do is they absolutely will give you a boost of motivation. They get you back to, let's say, a level eight level of motivation, and that will override your level five of internal resistance. But after a while, it could be a day, it could be a week, it could be a month. It will subside. And you'll be back to that level where you're stuck with your level five motivation and your level five internal resistance. Now, beyond causing frustration, this causes a lot of confusion. People think, why can't these people I see do it? Why can't I do it? And what I want to propose is doing something entirely different. Don't get more motivated because it's not sustainable. Instead, let's hack at the other part of this action equation. Let's focus on just getting people's internal resistance down to almost zero. So that way, even when they have a level five motivation, if they just have level one internal resistance, they take action on every regular day. They just take action. And what's really amazing that even on days when they aren't motivated, when things aren't going their way, if they have level two motivation only, but their internal resistance is just at a level one, they will still take action. And if you're asking yourself, well, why focus on this part of the equation? Because it sounds a lot less sexy. Well, I'll ask you this. What's the more intelligent thing to do if you're trying to go further and faster? One, press harder on the gas pedal. Or two, put the handbrake down. You want to put the handbrake down. But most people these days only teach how to press harder on the gas pedal. And this creates all this confusion and all this frustration in people not seeing the results. And on top of that, why you should focus on this part of the equation is because it's sustainable. Now, we all know that success compounds and we need sustainability in order for that to happen, correct? And that's why this is so important. You don't want ups and downs of motivation. We take action, inaction, action, inaction. You want this consistent action. 
That's why we really create elite outcomes, the sustainability that compounds. And honestly, beyond that, you have a better life outside of your business. If every time you have to motivate yourself and pump yourself up to take action because you have to override all this resistance that you're facing, you're going to get burnt out. You're not going to have the energy to also enjoy other things in life. And more importantly than just the success you'll see from doing this as far as money and success in your business, you'll be able to actually live a lot more life. Like this stuff doesn't only affect your business and you have to realize that we don't magically leave our insecurities and personal issues in the office. It affects how we are with others, how we are with ourselves and simply put the level of connection, love and fun we actually get to have in life beyond the external success. Now, I don't want you or anyone else to waste their time. If there's something else that can give them better results. So next week, we're going to cover how to understand that. We'll cover how to assess if the next constraint you really need to tackle in order to see success is actually an effective mindset or emotional fortitude or something else entirely. Okay. We'll be talking about the hierarchy of elite performance and give you clarity about what goes into being able to perform at an elite level and achieve massive external and internal results. Now, we might lose a few listeners, but that's perfectly fine because if after that you're saying, this is me, we'll get you the best stuff possible. Now, this season is going to be a mix of case studies, interviews, and live coaching calls. So I had a coaching call the other day with a former client. I had to do just a one-off and I was like, man, I wish people could see this, could listen to this because there's so much value to be learned just from seeing how this happens in real time and how he was just being so cognizant of his mental box. Like, oh, this is what's going on. This is what's going on. This is what's going on. And I think there could be tremendous value in us sharing with you guys, just giving you a front row seat to seeing exactly how this works so you can apply it for yourself. So also, if you're interested in that, go to the link below, edomarani.com slash podcast guest, and we'll take it from there. And that's it. So I will see you on the next episode. Where we'll break down the hierarchy of elite performance, and you can understand if effective mindset and emotional fortitude is what's going to take you to that next mountaintop. See you there. Thank you for listening to the Emotional Fortitude Podcast. Please tell a friend if you enjoyed it and found value in it. Three last things before you go, though. If you feel like someone else with your exact skill set and abilities could be accomplishing more than you currently are, that's a mindset and emotional access issue. And here are three ways I'd love to help you conquer any internal limitations, go big, and win. One, three quick ideas Tuesday newsletter. It's a weekly email with three quick ideas around one aspect of elite performance and how to approach it differently to get better and faster results. People say it's the most thought-provoking and impactful two minutes they spend in their inbox each week. It's easy to sign up to and easy to cancel, and you can sign up at edamomryan.com slash three ideas. Two is the Emotional Fortitude Micro Course. It will help you build the emotional fortitude and conflict tackle any goal. It's the complete, nothing held back, emotional fortitude system in five simple parts. It's all under five minutes each module. See it, use it, and win. And it's completely free at edamarmarani.com slash course. And number three, lastly, if you want to dive in and aggressively level up, the Arena Mindset Accelerator might be for you. It's a six-week intense sprint for entrepreneurs who are up for a dramatic transformation. It's an interactive live program where you'll be working with me in a very hands-on way to get clarity on what you want, build an effective mindset to optimize for your goals, and establish elite emotional fortitude that would allow you to overcome any fear or doubt that could get in your way. You can learn more at itamarmarani.com slash accelerator. You can find all of these links in the show notes below or go to itamarmarani.com and have a look around. Until next time, who dares wins.